Hello everyone, welcome back to Tulsa Lately, your favorite locally based podcast. I'm your host Mike, I would have loved to get this episode posted last night, as I promised to you, my loyal fans. Unfortunately, I got swept up in the magic of Halloween, watching horror movies, eating candy, drinking wine with my fiance. Uh, but, you know, I'm here now, so it's all that matters, right? Uh, this episode is part two of my third-party series where I speak with Lee Miller, a Libertarian candidate for State House in District 68. Uh, when he first requested to be interviewed, I had a couple doubts. Do I really want to do two politicians in a row? Who even is this guy? What if he starts saying crazy nonsense? Well, within the first minute or so of our conversation, I knew I had been wrong to question. Uh, another great guy with some great ideas, and I'm excited to be able to give him a platform to share. So, without further ado. Alrighty, I'm here at the Hardesty Library talking to Lee Miller. How you doing, Lee? I'm doing really well. Cool, cool. So why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us exactly who you are, what you're running for? Yeah, my name is Lee Miller, and I'm running for Oklahoma State House District 68 as the Libertarian candidate. And what district does that cover? Uh, that, that covers West Tulsa, uh, basically West Jinx, um, and North Glenpool, um, and like a little bit of Berry Hill School District, a little bit of Creek County, because we like gerrymandering in this Far country. Far All yeah. right. All right. So... Which um, I'm getting from the tone that you say that, that is not something you're a huge fan of. No, I don't. I don't like gerrymandering. I mean, as a, as a principal, it's, it's literally the party in power making sure there's more votes. Why don't you explain gerrymandering yeah. real quick for anyone yeah, yeah. who doesn't understand? Yeah, it. So, so gerrymandering is a process in which the typically whoever that party in power is... Um, they decide how districts are drawn up. Now, I think most of us think of like how counties are. They're basically squares, you know, that cover a certain amount. Maybe there's a river in there as a border, stuff like that. And that's what I think most people have a conception of a district of uh, is. But in reality, they can have crazy boundaries. Um, Oklahoma is not as bad, honestly, as other places. You know, there's places in um, I think it's North Carolina. They just had like a, a lawsuit out there where it's like literally like a horseshoe around this certain area. <laughs> and it's, you know, super skinny, but it goes, you know, 100 miles long or whatever. And they it, gerrymandering is a process where whatever party's in power, because it's not just a Democrat or Republican thing, draws the lines for each district so that that district has more voters for that party than the other party. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So kind of uh, kind of explain what influence do you feel like that you would be able to have and yeah. you know what what sort yeah, what influence does that position give you? Yeah, so um, the house I I know at a national level and in Oklahoma, I don't know about every state, but the house is typically the the chamber that's tasked with coming up with the budget, approving that budget, and then sending it on to the Senate and the governor. So that's the primary responsibility for the House 
in my understanding, any state and okay. the country as a whole. Um, also, with a legislator, you have that ability to write laws, put them to the committee, you know, where it best fits, and then to, to see it through the whole legislative process. Okay. Well, obviously, if you have decided that you wanted to run to mm-hmm. be in the House, uh, then that means that there are some issues that you feel like yeah. the House has not been doing as good of a job as it could be, and yeah. you might be the solution to some of those issues. So what what is going wrong that you feel like needs to go right? Um, my, my first thing that's really important to me is by eliminating sales tax on groceries. I don't know of a good reason why we have to pay the government to eat. I think it's a, an essential thing that we all have to do and not just because I'm overweight, but <laughs> it's, it's something we all have to do. Rich, poor, whatever color, we're all eating food and there's no reason we have to pay sales tax on that food um, because we have to, sur- to survive. Um, yeah, there uh, are a few states that do that, right? I think yeah, Oregon's yeah. one of them, and yeah. maybe maybe Texas too. Um, I, I don't know. I think with Texas, it is certain products. Okay, is like milk, eggs, butter, sales tax free. Okay, potato chips, cake in a box, those are taxed right. because they see it as, um, you know, with with milk, butter, eggs, you're going to take that home, make something with it. Um, with potato chips someone's made that product for you so that's a service that they can then tax so that's kind of how texas is set up but you would be you would be for no sales tax on any food no sales tax on any food gotcha yeah hey i like the sound of that yeah you've already won me over a little bit so um are there are there incumbents that you are running against that you would be deceiving? Is that is, is no that work here? Okay. That's the exciting thing about my race, is that it's an open seat, and I'm going against three other people. So it's my understanding it's my race is either the only or one of two. I've heard mixed reports. That's the only four-way race in the state. Oh. Um, so that means the winner will probably have about 4,000 votes, give or take, um, which is a very doable thing for any candidate in the race. So it's, I think, something that's kind of slipped under the radar for most people is that this race is a big, I think, kind of toss-up because it's it's anybody's game. It's an open seat. You know, incumbents have like a 90-some percent win rate. Um, I know this year it's a big deal. Because I think we've had like 11 or 12 incumbents unseated in the primary. You know, there's 101 seats in the House. So that means 90% of incumbents are still winning, you know. Hmm. Yeah. So even though it's a record year, incumbents are still winning at the rate that they should be. Um, but in our race, there isn't an incumbent, which is one of the main things that it attacks me. Yeah, yeah. So there's a chance, you're saying there's a, there's a really good chance of getting this sort of outside viewpoint mm-hmm. into the house. Yeah. So what are, what are some other things other than yeah. uh, sales tax that you feel like you, would, you could have a hand in yeah. affecting? So um, I'm a licensed marital family therapist. And um, to do that, you have to go to school, you have to go to college, get the special degree, 
you know, you had to do kind of a, an apprenticeship kind of thing. You have to take exams. You really? have to pay the state mm-hmm. to get your piece of paper that says, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, my wife is a former teacher. Uh, she's former because she decided to stay home with her kiddo. Uh, and then her two sisters are also teachers. They are certified, licensed professionals, according to the state of Oklahoma, yet I don't really feel like we treat teachers like they're a licensed professional. Um, Oklahoma City doesn't tell me what I have to do in therapy, doesn't tell me what topics we have to cover, uh, don't tell me how we have to do that, like the length of sessions, how long someone's in treatment, uh, the, the therapy model that I use with them. They don't tell me any of that stuff. Now, maybe an insurance company will. Maybe, you know, some other payer source will tell me what to do or not to do. Um, but as far as the state, their opinion is, you know what you're doing. Here's your piece of paper and you go do it. And I don't think we treat teachers the same way. Um, I think Oklahoma City functions in a lot of ways as another state or a, another school board where we regulate, tell teachers what they can and can't do, how to do it. Um, and and I think teachers just need to be treated as professionals. I think an increase in pay is definitely part of that. Um, now, as far as the state government's role in that, I don't, I'm going to be honest, I'm, it's kind of a big question mark for me because each school board, and you or anyone else might not know this, but each school board determines how much they pay their teachers every year. Really? Yeah. Okay. So um, you can go to the Board of Education website, you can see the documents where uh, the state su- superintendent submits to, I think, the governor the pay rate for each school district. And there's a sheet of paper that says these school districts are going to pay the state minimum that's set by the legislator. And then all the others submit their different pay rates. And so really, teacher spending can happen at the local level. Like if a, if a local school board, if, if parents get together and say, no, we're going to pay our teachers more and we demand that the school board do that, then that's something that can occur. Um, another thing too with I think not treating teachers as professionals is when the state gives school districts money they allocate how that money should be spent Um, the Oklahoma Policy Institute I think it's okpolicy.org if you want to go there um, they tried to break down the state funding formula and essentially they said it's super complicated and we really can't figure it out. And there's a lot of people that don't really understand the state funding formula. Um, to probably oversimplify it, because I'm not even sure I'm fully you know, um, knowledgeable on how the funding formula works. They take all this money from the state, um, take all this money from the state, and then they split it amongst the different school districts based on how many students they have. Well, uh, a school district in north central Oklahoma got $18 per student for the entire year. Wow. Another school district in southeast Oklahoma got $7,700 per student. And part of that's from local funding um, because you know the state said, well, this school district has so much local funding that they don't really even need our funding um, and then this one they don't have a lot, a lot of local funding 
so we're going to give them more. But there's also stuff about like if uh, a student has a certain like uh, educational disability, like dyslexia or something like that, like well then they count as like 1.33 of a student, you know, and so they need to get more money. Um, but that $18 that I was telling you about with that other school district, that's only for transportation. Ooh. So they can only use that money, I assume, for school buses, gas, something like that. And and I'm even though $18 isn't a lot, that school district shouldn't be the one choosing where that money goes. I mean, they're the ones who know their needs the best. They should be the one to choose it. Okay. Yeah, they okay. should be the one okay. to, to choose how that money's spent and where that money goes. Um, and so that's, that's, to me, not treating teachers as professionals because Oklahoma City is dictating to schools where the money's going to go and how it's going to be used. Wow. I had, yeah, this is the first I'm hearing of this. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be talking to you to figure that out. So, um, so you've, you've already talked quite a bit about education. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of, and you know, your wife being a, or having experience as a teacher yeah, yeah. and her family and everything. So I was going to ask if I feel like anyone that runs for local office has, you know, one or a couple things that they're really passionate about. So mm-hmm. is education your thing or is there, is there other things that you just feel like I can, I can change this too? Yeah. Um, I think education is a big passion of mine. Um, you know, in college, you know, I considered being an education major to, you know, teach. So I think that's kind of where a little bit of it comes from. Um, I, I really am passionate about someone's education being ran by them. And I know we're talking about kids, but I think kids need a bigger say in their education. And especially once we get into high school and stuff. They need to be able to take more control over that and determine, I want to do these classes and these classes because I have no plans to go to college. I need to learn skills now that I can get a job with once I leave. Maybe more emphasis on concurrent enrollment with because I know there are programs yeah. with trade schools yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'll even go so far as to say, I think a kid should get the best education for them, not limited by where they live. So if someone lives in a district, any of them, but that school, that district isn't a good fit for them, and mom and dad, or just mom sometimes, just dad, decides, hey, I'm going to take my kid over to this place because either I've heard that they're better, they have this special program, whatever, it's right next to my work, whatever it is, that's the best fit for my kid, for my family. So I'm going to pack them up and take them over there. Um, now, you can do that. You can transfer your kid to another district, another school. Uh, but whatever home district you're coming from has that ability to say no. Really? Yeah. A district has the ability to say you are not allowed to take your kid out of our schools. Uh, to put them in another school or district. Or to put them in another. Well, I mean, that's kind of. Yeah. 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 So, like, if you were going to say, I'm going to take my kid out and homeschool them. Oh, okay. They I mean, can't say that. They can't, they can't say, say no. Say no. That, but, yeah. Okay. But, if you but if you're going to take, or like, I'm going to put them in a private school, they can't say no to that. Okay. okay. But I'm talking okay. just okay. public schools. If you say this school district isn't a good fit for my kid, but that one across the street is, because that's literally how this works, streets, rivers, whatever are borders, 
I'm going to take them across the street and go to, you know, this other school because that's a better fit for them. Your home district can say no. That kind of seems like it's a built-in, uh, built-in conflict of interest right there because, you know, a school that might have to change how it does things or change teacher pay or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if people aren't allowed to vote with their feet and kind of say, I don't like how you're doing things, well, then the school has, you know, no incentive to make those changes other yeah. than just, well, I'll, you know, the parents are whining, well, we can deal with whining, but if the kids are actually leaving... Yeah. Well, and and I think the the other side would say, well, you can move with your feet. You can leave with your feet. You just move across the street and you, you can go sell there. your house and go buy a new house. Yeah, because that's to... real easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because if, if, if I'm, you know, living close or, or next to poverty rate, it's going to be real easy for my to go to another area of town where rent might be double, where my mortgage might double. That's not possible. So we're telling people, because of where you live, you can't have this kind of education. Whatever education that we provide you there, that's what you get to have. Okay. All right. So. um, And I think that's wrong, by the way. Oh, right. I think it's wrong. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I I would say I've got to agree with you. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, So. Is there anything, let's see, in the area of, because I spoke with Chris, for Mm -hmm. anyone who listened to that episode, I spoke with Chris about criminal justice reform. Yeah. Uh, We talked about the uh, incarceration rates and everything like that. Do you have any ideas that maybe you feel like you could field to anyone in the house? Is there there anything in that area that you feel like you could have an influence on? Yeah. um, I agree with Chris. I don't know what you guys talked about. But I agree with Chris in that if there is a nonviolent offender, you didn't harm someone else or their property, you're in prison, you need to get out. Because prison is an education system for criminals. You might go in not knowing all the things you can do, but when you come out, you know way more than whatever you did going into it. I like that. I hadn't heard that before. And so we need to get people that don't have a criminal background that didn't harm someone, that didn't harm someone else's stuff, who's probably in there because they had a plant. We need to get those people out and get them back on the street so that not just to be necessarily productive members of society, because that's a phrase, you know, we hear a lot, be a productive member, we got to get them out, you know, uh, teach them skills so they can be a productive member of society. We need to get them out so they can be with their family, dude. You know, like... If we are, okay, America, half of households are single-parent households, okay? Hmm. If, if we're a state that's number one in female incarceration, where are those kiddos going? Because most kids don't have primary custody with dad. They got primary custody with mom. So if mom goes to jail, where do those kids end up? And then how does that affect those kids' education? Because if you're worried about mom being in jail, and am I ever going to see mom again, at least not behind some kind of glass, how's that going to affect their test scores and how they do in school and all those things? So I'll be honest, I've kind of had this recent, I guess, understanding that our criminal justice and our education problem might go hand in hand 
with one another. And if we want to really see change in education, we're going to have to see change in criminal justice reform because we're putting way too many people in jail, not just moms, way too many people in jail that really probably don't need to be there at all. Um, like I said, that's a kind of a new revelation for me here in the past maybe month or so. And I wish I would have known that like in April, you know, I wish I would have made those connections then. Um, so another thing that hand in hand problem, if you will, if I said that the prison industry uses third grade reading tests as a determining factor in how many prisons that they build, that would be a lie. It's not based in reality. Like there's no proof that prison industries are doing this. But let me tell you some coincidences. Okay. So if you are less than proficient in third grade in reading, literacy, you are four times more likely to drop out of high school. Depending on the color of your skin and how much money mom and dad makes, that can jump up to 11 times more likely to drop out of high school. Yikes. Yeah. So 80 to 90% of people in prison are high school dropouts. Really? So, That's a figure I've not heard before. So is it a coincidence that the state with the number one incarceration rate in both men and women, not just in America, arguably the world, the number one incarceration rate, is it coincidence that we also have a third grade mandatory reading exam? I would. Yeah. I don't know. What, I don't what, know. And what do you mean by third grade mandatory reading? I'm not familiar with that. Okay. What is that? So I have three kiddos. One of them's in third grade now. One of them's in, I think, <laughs> I think. Uh, she's in <laughs> seventh grade now, I believe. Um, their first day of going to third grade, both of them, they had anxiety because they knew a third grade reading exam was going to happen that year. And if you don't pass that third grade reading exam, uh, you can be held back. And that's that a year. state mandate. That's a state That's another mandate. what you were talking about where yeah. districts and teachers aren't able to make their own calls. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, because family members are teachers, I think there are some exceptions, you know, that a teacher can argue. But if it's below a certain level... There's just no arguing with that. Right. There's no way to give that kid an exception. So my kids started their first day of third grade with anxiety that they had to take this third grade reading exam that they weren't going to take for, for months. And so that's what I'm talking about. So I would imagine that being held back also increases your chances of just being less successful all around in school. Is that... You know, yeah. I haven't specifically looked that up, but I know that when you talk about uh, graduation rates, mm -hmm. uh, because of, I think, how federal funding is uh, formulated, if you get held back a grade, you're counted as a dropout from that school, even if you go on to graduate. Because a graduation rate wow. is figured by, you know, 100 kids go into ninth grade uh, in high school. If couple of them are held back, then don't graduate with everyone like they're supposed to, that they count as like a dropout. Like they don't count for that graduation rate. They may still go on to graduate, but they don't count for that. That seems weird to me. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, let's see. 
Oh, to also talk about criminal justice reform, um, it is embarrassing with uh, how we treat women in prison. Uh, so the average uh, sentence for a woman in Oklahoma is 24 months. And there's a federal law, and the name is, I'm kind of having a brain fart right now, but the name of the law, or the what the law says, is if your kids are in state custody for 15 of 22 months, then the state has the ability to um, go after your parental rights to determine whether you're going to be a parent or not. Wow. So the average sentence we give women here in Oklahoma is 24 months. And um, sources I've talked to say Oklahoma is one of the quickest states to file against moms uh, to have their parental rights taken away. And that's and to clarify, that is not parental rights for those kids. It is parental rights for any kid that you may have in the future. So maybe you do make bad choices. Maybe you do, you know, mess up. You have your parental rights taken away. Your kids are taken away. You don't get to see them anymore. Ten years later, if you got your stuff together, you're doing fine, a productive member of society, you have another kid, the state can show up at the hospital and take your kid. Wow. That's insane. And then especially that that's even more insane considering that um, it's the DHS that does foster care and stuff, right? Yeah. here. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So, because uh, I know that in the past couple years, the previous administration had a huge hand in slashing their budget. Now, yeah. foster parents don't get to get paid out as much. They cut down on childcare services, stuff yeah. like that. So, it seems to me like, you know, the the Department of Corrections, they want to increase their budget by over a billion dollars. And so that's going to be more kids taken away from more parents and yeah. the system to take care and make sure that those, you know, the state system, what? You're supposed to step in and protect them from evil parents, right? Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. But then now you have less money and you have less fun. So, I mean, it just kind of seems like, I mean, do you have any well, things to say about uh, just what I said before, we got to yeah. stop putting people in jail that don't deserve to be in jail. You know, if they didn't harm someone else or their stuff, they had a, a just a plant, you know, but they're still taking or care of their kids. Or even a pill. Or a pill. Even yeah. a pill. Even a pill. They're still taking care of their kids. There's no neglect happening. They're, if you will, using it responsibly. Why are we taking their kids away? Like, why are we putting them in jail? You know? Maybe that maybe instead of taking their kids away, putting them in jail, maybe the caseworker shows up three or four times a week. You know, that's a much, much reasonable plan, much more reasonable plan than right. Still, you know, make sure the kid isn't being left alone in a room unfed. Sure, but, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? Um, Any other thoughts? Uh, well. If you're in my part of town, I would ask for your vote in November. And the the big difference, maybe someone that hasn't heard of libertarians before, don't don't really understand the the real difference. Um, most people get you know Democrats are for for big government, you know for federal power, for federal rights. You know Republicans want a smaller government. They're they're for state rights. Uh, libertarians really are about the individual. They're about you know that person's rights, and 
that's what I'm campaigning for. I'm campaigning for individual people to run their life how they see fit. Because I don't believe anyone in Oklahoma City is qualified enough to run your life. You are the number one person that has the most information to make the best decision for your life. Whether that's the medical treatment you receive, the education that you receive or your kids receive, uh, the, the job that's best for you, all of that should be determined by you. Now, I would encourage you, if you're seeking medical treatment, to go talk to an expert in that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. To get their opinion, to get their advice. But ultimately, that's up to you. And there should be no barriers between you and whatever medical option you want to try, education option you want to try, or an economic option you want to try. If you have a skill set and you can do a good job doing something and someone else will pay you for that, then that's what you should be doing. There shouldn't be some kind of regulation that you know prevents you from starting a business or um, you know working for yourself, getting that side hustle um, you know that we all pretty much need <laughs> to get by now. Uh, there shouldn't be any of those regulations as long as you're not harming someone else or their stuff. You you should be able to run your life, and that's that's what I'm really running for. I'm not running for a particular party to get more power. I'm not running to tell someone else, hey, I know how best you should live your life. I'm running so that you can do whatever idea you have that will better you and your family's life as long as you're not harming someone else or their stuff. You know, I, I think it'd be pretty tough for someone to find problems in what you just said there. So, Lee, it has been a real pleasure meeting you, Thank you. Uh, learning about what you're planning on doing. And, you know, I, I really hope you make it. We need someone with your kind of voice in, in the house. And I feel like that Oklahoma could benefit a lot from having you in it. So. Thank you so much. And that wraps it up for this interview. A couple newsworthy notes before I close. Tulsa Lately is now officially on iTunes, so you can search Tulsa Lately and subscribe there. The website is also up. That'll be TulsaLately.com. There you can find the RSS feed to use to subscribe using any podcast service that allows you to do it that way. Go ahead and like, leave a comment. Kind of helps my ratings and stuff. Uh, still working on Spotify if that's your go-to. They're a bit trickier. Because, yeah, yeah, this this whole thing is turning out to be a little bit more work than I thought, honestly. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to get local advertising, you can contact me on the website or email me at TulsaLately at gmail.com. Don't worry, all you faithful listeners. This is not going to be plagued by a bunch of ads, you know. But if I get one or two short little spots of local businesses, I'd love to help promote them as well. Uh, yeah, and if you want to donate to the show personally, feel free to walk yourself down onto the ATM, pull out some cash, drive to my house, and give it to me. Do not mail it. I do not trust my postman. Anyone who steps on flowers while approaching my mailbox is capable of anything. In the evening, I am speaking with a representative of the Bridges Foundation Mercantile a place that offers gainful employment and community for those with special needs in Tulsa. Really awesome organization. They do a lot of good, and I'm excited to get their story. I expect I'll be releasing that on Friday or Saturday. So just watch for my post, I guess. Well, Tulsa, I'll see y'all around.